If, if you want to know how you get elephants on and off a boat, I can help you. It's in Livy 21. You're welcome. <laughs> and the answer is paulatim. That's the Latin. Very slowly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> true fact. Um, you make them do it a little step by step anyway. You, any, we're not going to get sidetracked into elephants and their rafts and how you move them around. Well, we um, might. The we day might. is young. Hello and welcome to Meet Me at the Museum. I'm Natalie Haynes and I'm in Carlisle. In fact, I'm standing just under the walls of Carlisle Castle and wondering if this town has ever been anything other than fortified. We're right by the water, we're right by the river and we're right by, of course, Hadrian's Wall, but right here by the castle, which has obviously guarded the people of Carlisle for centuries and centuries. It's Since the 11th century, actually. Ladies and gentlemen... <laughs> It's Helen Bagnell. <laughs> Hello. It's my lovely friend Helen. Is it the 11th century? That's modern history to me, you know that. I know it is. I saw it in the local coffee shop, 1082. 1082, <laughs> is that right? And the museum that we're going to visit today is Tully House, um, which has got thrilling finds of stuff that was dug up from Hadrian's Wall. What Natalie doesn't know is that the Tully Museum also has pre raphaelite stuff. She's going to not give me clueless, I'm going to know loads more. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care about stupid pre raphaelite but today we're mainly talking about what it was like in Carlisle at the time for the, Romans, the Romans arrived. For the Romans and Roman Britons. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I think that's our goal because the Romans come here, well, they make a sort of brief foray into Britain, don't they, under Julius Caesar in maybe about 43, I think, something like that, BCE. And then they get here properly nearly 100 years later under Claudius. And he comes with elephants. Imagine that. Imagine being a Briton and you've never seen anything bigger than like a small pony <laughs> and then suddenly they turn up with elephants and just parade through the streets just as a show of power yeah we might get to fondle some roman elephant jewelry so happy with how that sentence ended because it didn't look like it was going to be good and then it, you just brought it back it was all fine <laughs> all right let's go okay ready this is meet me at the museum with me natalie haynes Hi, we're here with our National Art Passes. Can we come in and see the museum for free? Of course, lovely. If you want to go straight into the museum, you can access the Roman galleries. If you go upstairs, we've got the border galleries. That's what I want, the Romans. (laughs) Now smell the thing. So I'm looking at this display that allows you to smell different smells that uh, connect you with the Roman world. So we've got a herb to smell, um, a flavour and a drink to smell. And these are all um, Roman food and drinks from the time. It's fish sauce. Roman cookery used fish sauce in many dishes. Garum, that's the word. And it's rancid fish guts, basically. Um, And the Romans put it on virtually... The Romans... Taste in food is absolutely repulsive. Things that they like are, one, rancid fish guts on everything, and two, disguising food to look like other food so it makes it less appetising. Hey, would you like to eat some rabbit? What about if we made it look like a winged horse? Okay, the Romans. Um, Would you like to eat this tiny, delicious delicacy, the fig pecker? What about if we put it inside a pastry egg so it looks a bit like a disgusting embryonic bird you have to eat? Mmm, thanks, ancient... Yeah, it's not a good time to... And that's before you start talking about the mice. So, yeah, I wouldn't have liked eating anything in ancient Rome. Hang on a second, can we just back up a bit? Before we start talking about the mice, what about the mice? mice. They They ate mice? Yeah, they did, yeah, in honey, yeah. Mice hearts, get them while they're hot, they're lovely. (laughs) They're too small. They have to eat the whole mouse. It's just repulsive. It's a privilege, not a right, isn't it, getting to talk about classics. Um, I loved being a comedian. I loved it the whole time I did it, except for the last but one year. Um, year 11, I didn't enjoy very much. And that's when I decided I would retire. And then year 12 was like a valedictory tour and I knew I was leaving. And so I guess I was different because audiences were really nice to me. And it was just, it felt like a really sort of special goodbye. 
But it, it really was just a succession of happy chances that enabled me to write The Ancient Guide to Modern Life. And because of that, I got to do the, the radio series. So it's just the most extraordinary treat being able to talk about the thing I have been passionate about. I took triple classics A-levels, so that's how nerdy I am. At 16, I became a classicist. I started Latin at 11 and Greek at 13, 14. And so it's been part of my life for as long as I can really remember. Uh, we're in the, I guess, atrium is the word I'm going to use since we're Roman Britoning up of Tully House Museum. Um, and it is the most eclectic mix of things. We're sort of part in, part way into the shop. We're next to the ticket desk. We're just um, under a massive beaver, if that helps. We're under a massive beaver, Helen Mouse, um, which appears to be, I'm going to say, bronzed. Should we go with a bronzed know. beaver? A bronzed beaver, yeah. <laughs> uh, Helen Bagnall, I'm really struggling not to call you Helen Mouse because that's what I have called you for... I'm not sure how long have we been friends. Uh, I think about eight eight years. Eight years. Nine months, four days. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it feels, you know... It's a really long time. Well, no, it isn't really, I suppose. But I feel like you've been my best friend for my entire life. Because oh, this has happened to me twice in my life, once with the comedian Rob Deering and once with you, where when I met you, I felt like we were already best friends. And I am, as you know, and you can testify, um, an incredibly awkward person. <laughs> and generally, I'm very bad at talking to people, um, meeting people, any kind of physical contact with strangers or basically anything which involves interaction at all. And when I met you, you were so awesome. I was just like, I've met this. I came, I went home and said to my then boyfriend, I just met this amazing girl. He's like, should I be worried? <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Went out for quite a long time after that. But yeah, no, that's exactly how it was. Well, I can't testify to any of that. It's you're, true. You're unbelievably brilliant with people. Incorrect. And, I, and I've seen you in so many situations. We worked together quite a lot. And Where did we first work together? Um, we first worked together, we did a salon event in London. I So salons are sort of evening events where we take a theme and kind of... Your like, salon? Yeah, my yeah, salon. That's yeah, right. was, where yeah. were we? We were somewhere It was the University Women's Club in Mayfair. <laughs> this is not the kind of place I go to unless you're Nor there. Nor me. <laughs> um, and we were doing some work for them. And I introduced you and you just weren't in the room. <laughs> Ever professional. You said, oh, I'll come in just before you want me on. Just introduce me and I'll turn up. And um, as I was introducing you, I realised that you weren't in the room. Where but, was I? What was I doing? But you had to write a thousand words on some Heraclanian scrolls or something. The, the, was I got a deadline? That you I had a deadline, that yeah. Like me. A, yeah. And the minute I said, hey, nuns, hey, the nuns bit, <laughs> and went into mad panic, the doors opened and then you strained to Did I really? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it must have been by accident. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, this girl, this, this woman is good. Yeah. She's got a game. Shameless pro. <laughs> Helen Bagnall, look, you could wear that. Roman Centurion's outfit, come on. You would fit in that. Do they have any alterations to their outfits in their various uh, trips to Britain? Or was it always the same Are you outfit? asking me if this is going to fit you? It's going to fit you. <laughs> I just want the latest model. I think that's an older yeah, that's model. It. That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's autumn, winter, 18, 19. Is that right? I don't understand fashion. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah. Autumn, winter, 18, slash 90. Yeah, that's Yeah, definitely. I'll wear it. Can I wear it? <laughs> yeah. It's an extremely clean Centurion's outfit. I think it would suit you very well, Helen. Um, it's lots of uh, silvered panels, um, but I'm not sure what they would have originally been made of, but I guess probably iron. Um, and so they are... Um, you would look a little bit like an armadillo in it, let's be honest. So it's stripes or... Um, yeah, I guess it is strips of iron, isn't it, that um, have leather buckles 
nailed onto them and then you could adjust it depending on your girth it's niche um, let's be honest so it makes basically a variant of a corset but out of metal and then your uh, shoulder pieces which are also attached by leather straps um, are similarly strips of iron which are curved to go over the shoulder Um, and then there's some bronze decoration um, and your helmet would be magnificent and would make you look a little bit like a spaniel uh, because it's got these lovely long ears that come down the side to protect the sides of your face, which you need if you've ever read the Iliad. <laughs> well, yeah, which well, I do see as a different period and a different country. Getting around to you it. You see the principle. So it's in a book in the pile by, by my Yeah, it's under, under, the, under the label marked old. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's fine. But what would have Britons been coming at your Romans with? A lot less sophisticated yeah. weaponry than the Romans had. They just didn't have a chance. Yeah. That bit, it's, it's not a film that I especially love, um, but the bit at the beginning of Gladiator... Um, where he says on my signal unleash hell Um, and you realise just in that moment at least I did when I saw it at the cinema I'm not sure I've seen it since you think god that's what it was like like facing the Romans and you have to have that kind of moment where you stop as a classicist and realise that the people who brought you the poetry of Virgil or you know the scabrous comedy of Juvenal are also the people who were just the most terrifying land force across the whole of the Western world for hundreds of years and you have to just take a minute and remember what it would be like to be the other guy. We're in the courtyard at the back of Tully House Museum and we're walking over to the old Tully House Museum. I didn't even know there were two. Um, And you can hear children actually having an actual nice educational time. Hear that, young people? You could have fun here. Um, And I'm hoping that when we get inside the old museum, we're going to find some um, exciting Roman Britain finds. Um, So I've been joined by Sarah Forster, who's showing me around um, some of the pieces in Tully House Museum, which suggest just how far-flung the residents of uh, Roman Britain uh, might have been. Can you talk to me a bit about these incredible pipes that... Um, terracotta pipes but they have this incredible kind of uh, um, ridged surface and they don't look like pipes I've seen before. No absolutely so they've got you're right they've got that kind of little nozzle at one end and um, the kind of ridges as you go down and the design comes from Africa but we've actually found them in buildings around um, this area and around the fort um, in Carlisle so it just shows you how far the design and the, the way that they were building has travelled. So these are African craftsmen yes. have come to Roman Britain and brought their designs with them and made them here. Absolutely, yeah, you're spot on. So it's, it's the idea and, and their kind of skills and the way that they, they would have designed their buildings that they've brought up here to Cumbria and then we now see reflected in the Roman finds in this area. And this is what's so interesting, isn't it, about the wall, I think, uh, or one of the many things about it that's interesting, is that it shows us just how incredibly diverse Roman Britain was because there are soldiers coming from all over the Roman Empire. There are craftspeople coming with them, uh, following them, or, you know, there's, there's money to be made. Oh, absolutely, yes, because this, this type of design would, would have never been seen in, in Britain. So as people were bringing new things in, and I suppose it's that kind of, if it works, then we'll, we'll, we'll keep it and we'll use it ourselves. Um, so, yeah, it's that kind of melting pot, isn't it, as you say, of, of ideas and the best ones rise to the top. And that's what you see kind of uh, being replicated. Lift off stairs. I'm going to rec- recommend the stairs. We have a... They, a, they are Roman stairs. There is a soundtrack. As you get further down the stairs, you go back in time. Oh, so you'll amazing. be able to hear like, cars and things up here. And as we get further down, 
all that disappears and you hear like, uh, you'll be able to hear Latin and it's all supposed to be sound like a road in the streets. I can't guarantee I'll be able to understand the Latin, we'll have to see. You don't have to do an oral exam when you do Latin, it's one of the things that's really good about it. No one ever makes you talk it. But presumably if it's the Nubians, they won't be speaking Latin, oh, will they? Damn it, if it's the Nubians, we're absolutely ruined. I've got zero Nubian at my disposal. You? No, I'm very, very little Nubian. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there you go, they're talking Latin. So exciting. They're speaking real life Latin. This is a very exciting time. I can't translate it for you, I'm afraid, because I'm not very good at oral Latin. <laughs> uh, so now we are in the Roman Frontier Gallery, which is incredibly cool. So what we have is um, some statues, some of which are stone and some of which are bronze, or at least one of which looks like it is bronze. And we have got some funeral stones, which I always love. DM at the top, Dies Manibus, to the spirits of the departed. Um, to my right, we have got... Look at you, Steve's genuinely impressed by my spontaneous, slightly rubbish translation. Hello, uh, Steve Adcock on the visitor experience team here at Tully House. And it's our job to meet visitors both at the front desk and when they come around the gallery. And is Roman Britain your favourite bit? Is this your expertise? It's one of my favourite bits. I have no expertise in any one of the galleries. Of, one, I heard that. That cuts to the quick. Uh, I also like our wildlife gallery. No, you don't. Not as much as the Romans. Don't pretend. Don't pretend. Don't the Romans are very interesting. Correct. And we have quite a bit about them, especially the fact that you're standing where the Romans stood at the moment. So. And tell me about that, because that seems to me completely incredible. I love being... I love the chance to touch things that the Romans touched. To sta- I mean, it just... I find it genuinely, properly hairs on the back of your neck so well, tell me about it in this gallery that's the case because we are in the middle of the fort the first fort that was built here in Carlisle in AD 72 it used to extend from the middle of the castle to the middle of the museum so a very large fort and you're down at Roman level yep because so we've we come, come down, down two or three floors yes. from ground level now that's right we're underneath the dual carriageway here you wouldn't know it and some of the items you see around you were actually dug up where you're standing that's so exciting so we have jewellery down here, we have leather shoes, we have wooden items, we even have Roman armour still with, on the leather backing that it was worn, how it was worn. Now, I promised Helen Mouse um, that she has got roughly the same foot size as a Roman man, because I have, mass, I have the same foot size as, an, as a contemporary man, um, so I am determined to put her foot near a shoe at some point today to prove it. Well, we have samples of the shoes just right, over to the on, right Mouse, here, again up. dug up where you're standing. They look about the same size as Helen Mouse's feet. I don't know what you want me to say. Without a doubt. Yeah, they are roughly the same size. Because I have, I have huge feet because I move very quickly through water. Don't feel bad for me, people at home. It is handy having flippers. But these are, I reckon, about your size. And these are the soles of boots, aren't they? Is that right, Steve? These are, we can see the holes in these um, leather soles. And that makes me think that's where nails went through. That's correct, yes. It would be where the iron studs uh, originally formed the base of the, the, the sole and so made the shoes... Yeah, tougher, longer lasting. And certainly as the soldiers marched along, you would hear this noise coming towards you and it would be intimidation, to be honest, on the stone roads. I also learned recently from a a lady from a Swiss museum who makes these leather shoes and she was actually wearing a pair based on a, a sole from this museum. Wow. And she was walking the wall in them. And she said one of the best ways of knowing where a Roman road is with the metal detector is when you find a straight line of beeps that's where all these nails have been washed off the road off. into the dish at the side and form a continuous metal 
That is brilliant. Yeah, that incredible. is brilliant. Interesting point about that, gravestones. It's typically with Roman gravestones. It's got the name of the lady, Titulania Pusitata, where she's from, Raisha, which is modern Switzerland. And then it gives her age in years, months, 35. And days. She's 35 years old. And then how many months? Eight. Eight months? Eight men says. And then DA, is that 15? Scrolled at the very bottom. Come on! I'm just doing unseen translation of tombstones, everyone. <laughs> this is genuinely quite difficult. I can't believe how underwhelmed you all are. Well, you've read it before, so that's fair I enough. Yeah, so yeah, it's old news I'm to not, you. I'm not underwhelmed. I'm just thinking, why was she here from Switzerland? I guess the most likely answer, and I'm happy to be corrected by Steve, is that she was married to a soldier from Switzerland who was posted here up onto the wall. Because one of the things that the Romans do, which is so very clever in order to uh, maintain control over their empire, is not let people serve in the province where they started out. So um, Swiss soldiers, as it would be, would be serving on Hadrian's Wall and British soldiers might be serving over in Switzerland or in North Africa. And we know there were Syrians, for example, up on Hadrian's Wall. And recent DNA evidence has told us that I think even as many as 20% of people in Roman Britain were long-distance migrants. And so, you know, the, the movement around the empire was incredibly common and distant. And um, the reason that we've stopped to look at it is because A, it's a lovely stone and we can read it, um, and B, because it commemorates the life of a woman and it's always important to uh, include women in history, something which doesn't always happen, let us be honest, uh, when people discuss the past. It's almost like women didn't exist. Oddly, still half of society then too. I say irritably. (laughs) You know, the ancient history that kind of we inherited was from a time you know that was very sort of patriarchal and it was a yeah. grand man of history retelling of the classics but now the, that we really want to explore this diversity more because it is there yeah as you say classics works for you it's all there it's unearthing it in a different way yeah and also the science has just changed mm. you know scientific advances in the last sort of 20 years means that we can now just tell more about mm. where skeletons and fragments and things are from and so we can say with much more information this person came from this place in this part of the roman world and they are not local and there is no disputing it it's only in the last few decades that we've been able to look at mass burial graves way down into europe and and discover that there are you know sometimes up to a third of a what, what we had assumed were warrior graves are women. So it's like, well, women are fighting. Yeah. You know, if you think about those children's books that you had when we were kids, be, you know, men going off and fighting in battles and women as camp followers or not doing anything very much. Nah, Mm-mm. there are absolutely warrior women fighting. And obviously for us in, in Britain, Boudicca has been a great figurehead for us. And mm-hmm. we're like, yeah, she, you know, she goes and kicks it to the Romans, brilliant. But she maybe wasn't as unusual. She was more successful and more famous, um, but she maybe wasn't as unusual as we thought. And I think it's, it's really important, not just that classicists talk about this and remember this, but that that information goes out into the world. Because otherwise, I think we run a real risk of seeing classics get turned into a sort of repository of, of privilege. And that's not what it was and it's not what it should be. You've got a head injury. Yeah, look at that. Skeleton with a massive puncture wound in his skull. Wow, oh my God, you can see the holes on both sides of his skull. That's gone straight through. Ooh, difficult day. Ooh, I think Steve's going to let us play with some things, which is extremely exciting. So a few finds which look to me like they might be brooches. Can we have a look, Steve? Absolutely. We have here a range of 
brooches, as you said, dating from the first century up to the fourth. You can touch them if you want to. Can I really? You can lift them up, yes. That's oh, the whole goodness. point. We let the visitors handle these. Look at this. So this is really beautiful, heavy. Uh, I think it's missing its pin, isn't it? It's a brooch that was missing its pin. Oh, my God, but you can see where it would have... You can see the housing where it would have gone. So you can see... What I have here is a piece of bronze that is um, a beautiful little arched stripe of bronze with studs, one, two, three, four studs down it which are decorative and then a bigger stud on the top and then the pin is missing but what is still here is both the sort of hinge point where the pin would have been housed and then the little housing at the other end where the pin would have fed in and it's got a beautiful blunted off end so that nobody's going to stab themselves in the hand something which I could take a lesson from because look how shot that ring is but anyway my goodness it's absolutely well, lovely so this is this you're saying this is a brooch Steve that's correct. But is it a brooch in the sense of it's holding a toga together? Yes, exactly that. It's not a brooch as in we would understand it, no. which is decorative. No. This is holding it, it's your clothes both. on. It's holding your clothes on, but also because of the studding on the outside, or in this case it looks partly like a trumpet, you had different designs, and obviously the more elaborate these were showed your status and wealth perhaps in Roman society. So is this, if I wanted... To, so how would I get one of these, Matt? Is it something Make that it, my parents... Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> not, not literally. Oh, not now. Not no, now. Got it. Yep. But in first century, first century Roman times, is this like Well, a, you're not going to wear a toga a gift because or? you're a lady. And if you wore a toga, you would be a lady of the night um, because I'm afraid that's oh. what that meant. And yeah, I guess your husband might have bought it for you or your parents might have bought it for you if you weren't yet married. Or you might have been a woman of means. The Romans do have women who run businesses. You know, we have... Um, uh, bricks and things which have got inscriptions which tell us that it was a, a woman-owned business. So, yeah, perhaps you would be a well-to-do woman of a certain age and you could afford your own damn brooch. We don't know where these would have been manufactured. Um, they've been found in and around Carlisle, um, but the styles would have been the same throughout the empire. So they could be manufactured further afield and brought here, traded, carried by individuals as their personal belongings or some may latterly have been made here uh, as new designs um, came into fashion and sometimes that would be driven by designs here in Cumbria traveling the other way they would have trained the local people up with greater skills in this and then the locals would have started producing these sort of items to sell back to the Romans. So what have the Romans ever done for us now we've got enameling as one thing. Yeah. And Certainly. sculpture and jobs abroad. Yeah, it's got everything going on. Right. Oh, Steve, thank you so much for showing us around. Uh, not at all. It's been my pleasure. And uh, I'm glad you found it so enjoyable. And you've given me a lot of information as well. Oh, thank good. You. Sometimes I'm just making it up. You know that, right? OK, good. It's difficult with classics because if you want to study the languages, and obviously that's important to people like me who did Latin and Greek at school, then that's incredibly limited. There are some state schools that can still manage to find space and teachers to do Latin and Greek, but the vast majority of um, Latin and Greek teaching is in private schools, uh, which is 7% of of students in the country. So 93% of students just don't get the chance to do Latin and Greek. The the kind of pushback is that we are getting increases in um, classical civilization, And there are lots of classicists really fighting to make classics available because it doesn't belong to an elite. It belongs to all of us. It, it has always belonged to all of us. And every time 
it's pushed off the curriculum for some incredibly worthwhile reason um, that everybody agrees should be taught and I agree should be taught. But every time classics is the thing that's made to move, what we're essentially saying is this incredibly important part of our collective history is just for an elite. It's just for people whose parents can pay for an education. And it becomes a, a shibboleth for educated people to talk to other educated people about how educated they are. And classics isn't elitist. It's not some little secret club. It's not like the Masons. You don't have a special knock to get into classics. It's for everybody. And it doesn't matter if you're watching Gladiator um, or if you're visiting a museum like Tully House or if you're going on holiday to a Greek island and there are some... It doesn't... I don't mind which bit of classics you get. I don't even mind if you know about classics and you dismiss it because you're not interested in it. God knows I do that with enough subjects myself. It's important. It belongs to all of us. And Classics will always be safe so long as there are enough of us who are prepared to say it's not okay. It's not okay to limit it to people who went to Eton. It belongs to us all. I can see scones. I can see scones from here, Helen Metz. It's cake time. It's cake time, everyone. It's an important part of the podcast. Joe. I'm very pleased that having now been around the Roman galleries, we are eating cake in the library. I don't know if everyone else is allowed to do this. I like to think it's a little perk for us. Well, I don't know. I I think the links between museums and cakes has got to be enjoyed by lots of people, right? Yeah. And that can't just be us, can it? It's not just us. I've eaten in the cake shop of virtually every museum in the world, I would think, by now. It's an essential part of a museum trip. It's how you get rid of museum fatigue. It's the sound of this, this cake fork hitting my teeth. I don't normally get a cake fork, everyone at home, by the way. <laughs> normally I'm quite scabby and just, you know, eat it with my paws. <laughs> and museums always have good cake. It's just one of them. I know, right? <laughs> so I feel like we saw some really beautiful pieces down there. And oh, we did. Um, some of the things that were most important were, at least I guess I think they're most important, are the pieces which sort of show us exactly how far-flung people on Hadrian's Wall were. That we kind of have this notion that it's the Roman army in Britain, and therefore it's two, there are two sets of people, Romans and Britons, mm-hmm. and it's just not true at all. And I love seeing all those examples of you know, people buying souvenirs and then taking them to other parts of Roman Britain or people bringing their designs for pipes from North Africa to here. It just seems to me incredible. I know, I know you've always said that Romans were just incredible magpies. They are magpies. And we just saw that in action today. It was just, you know, if it's an African design that works best, well, we'll just take that. You right. know, if people want souvenirs, then, you know, they can have, Let them. Them have them. Let them have them. And we'll, you know, train the Britons, the various types of Britons, to give us what we want. You know, the heritage of Carlisle and the whole wall has got African heritage, it has got yeah. Syrian heritage. I know, it's incredible. Swiss heritage, Dutch heritage, it's all there. Yeah. You don't need to send away your DNA to work out what your heritage is. No. You just have to know that African soldiers walked here yeah served here in the roman army yeah and stayed and that's back in the heritage it's it's there in all of us it's right there um so i think what i've really loved about being here today is seeing those pieces which have really told us a bit of the story that we don't always think about because it's definitely a a historical failing in classics although it's it's being rectified by lots and lots of brilliant classicists now and in recent years um to think of the past as sort of a world where grand men stride about doing grand things. Right. And actually, of course, there are women in these societies. Hadrian's Wall is important um, 
for lots of reasons, but only one of them is that it's the earliest example of women's handwriting from anywhere in the world. Oh, really? And here, you know, we have that um, funerary stone mm. for a woman whose life has been commemorated. And it is really important. They have a, a, a sort of, not quite a treasure hunt, but, a, a, you know, find these 10 important women um, phenomenon going around this museum. And it's lovely. I think it really matters. And I think it's really important. It's it's a problem that classics has. And we have to be careful, I think, not to let ancient history seem like it's it's just a, a very kind of monotonous culture. It isn't. It's incredibly diverse racially. Obviously, women exist in the ancient world, although you wouldn't always know it reading our sources. And it's really important that we remember that. And this museum gives us a fantastic chance to, to be reminded of it. Thanks for joining me, Natalie Haynes, for Meet Me at the Museum. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the podcast.